0: What do you know? You know, lib kind of kind of thing. But that's that's not that's not what uh, the emphasis is in here. The emphasis is on what we know. What do we know? What certainties do we have? And we're getting really close to our uh, our end in this book. We're we're in uh, John first John chapter five, and uh, you know this is a book that really challenges us. This is a book full of warnings. This is a book full of tests and checks to test our, our walk with Christ, to test the validity of our, our profession in, in Jesus. And, uh, you know, John wrote this book to, to people who are professing Christians. He wrote it so that we would be clear on one central reality, that if we... Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. That's why he wrote this book. This is what today's message is about, and you know he, he wrote this letter so that we can have absolute certainty that God means what he says in, in his word. Remember the garden when our our first parents rebelled, Adam and Eve, and uh, when Satan was being beguiled and tempted by this this serpent. What did the serpent say? What did he ask? He said, did God really say that? Hmm? You think God really meant what he said? And the the serpent said, no, no, you're not going to die. And, you know, from that time forward, we've been second guessing what God or whether God really means what he says. We're tempted to play fast and loose with his word and with his promises, with his claims. And we ask the same question. We tend to do this. We ask, did God really say that? Lee Strobel uses the following illustration to highlight the the moral rebellion that makes clear truths of the scripture more ambiguous than they are. Imagine a daughter and her boyfriend going out for a Coke on a school night, the father says to her, you must be home before 11. If it gets to be 1045 and the two of them are still having a great time, they don't want the evening to end. So suddenly they begin to have difficulty interpreting the father's instructions. What do you think he really meant when he said, you must be home before 11? Did he really mean, did he literally mean or, Or or was he talking about it in a general sense, you know, like like people in general? You know, was, was he saying, in effect, as a rule, as a general rule, people in general must be home before 11? Or was he making the observation that generally people are in their homes before 11? I mean, he wasn't very clear, was he? And what did he mean by you must be home before 11? Would a loving father be so adamant and inflexible? he probably means it as a suggestion i know he loves me so isn't it implicit that he wants me to have a good time and if i'm having fun then wouldn't he want me to end the ev- or he wouldn't want me to end the evening so soon and what did he mean by you must be home before 11 he he didn't specify who's home you know it could be anybody's home Maybe he meant it figuratively. Maybe, remember the old saying, home is where the heart is. You know, my heart is right here. So doesn't that mean I'm already home? And what did he really mean when he said you must be home before 11? Did he mean it in an exact literal sense? Besides, He never, he never specified 11 p.m. or, or 11 a.m., and he wasn't really clear on whether he was talking about Central Standard Time or Eastern Standard Time. You know, and in Hawaii, it's, it's quarter to seven. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, it's always before 11. Uh, whatever time it is, it's always before the next 11. So with all these ambiguities, we can't really be sure what he meant at all. If he can't make himself more clear, we certainly cannot be held responsible. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of silly, isn't it? But we do this. We, we read God's word and, and we ask that question. Did, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Maybe I'm the exception. And this this letter by First John, John ends with a list of certainties, things that we know with absolute certainty, absolute clarity. John, in this this last part, he he summarizes the letter, and he's al- he's already given us earlier in the in the letter. We had a sermon about it. Uh, tests we can apply. These tests were things like: Do we believe? Do we obey Christ's commandments? Do we love? You know these are the these are the marks of true Christianity. So our text today is 1 John 5, 13 through 21. And as we read, I want, I want us to take note at how many times this language of, of certainty comes forth. We know. We know. We have confidence. We know. Look, Count how many times he says we know. Read with me. 1 John 5, 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Let's uh, let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would ring loud and clear in, in our ears, Lord, and would uh, penetrate us to the, to the depths of our heart, Lord. Thank you that you have given us uh, these things, these certainties that we can hold on to, that we can stand firm in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's given us these certainties concerning our lives, our, our, our conduct and our relationship with Him. You know what would our What would our lives be like? What would our Christian lives be like if, if we were always uncertain? If we were always uh, left guessing? I mean I mean what what do we know? You know, of what things can we be certain in from, God's, or from, uh, from what John gives us in this passage, you know, we, can, we can say we, we know that we have eternal life from God if we believed in the name of Jesus Christ. We know that uh, God hears us and he answers. We know that sin is not from God. We know that uh, genuine believers do not live in habitual sin. And you know the greatest thing that we know is God. The greatest person we know is is God Himself, and that's really the, the, I think the climax of this letter. Remember, in the the Gospel of John, we we pointed this out that uh, you know not only does, does John give us the uh, the purpose of this letter, but when he wrote his gospel, he also gave us the purpose of that gospel. In John twenty verses 30 and 31 he said but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name his gospel was evangelic evangelical in in tone this letter is a letter of assurance and certainty well, our first point is that we know we have eternal life from God. In verse 13, remember that John has given us the purpose. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is a big deal. <laughs> and remember last time we left off, last time was actually a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, with verse 11, it said, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. <clears throat> Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Do we, do we have eternal life? That's, that's the question before us here. If we have Jesus Christ, we do. John says that those who believe in the name of the Son of God should know that they have eternal life. When we believe in His name, we believe in who He is. We believe He is the Christ, the the Son, co-eternal with the Father. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except by Him. These are the things we know. These are the assurances and certainties that we have. You know, eternal life is a big theme in John's writings. In the Gospel of John, it, it, it appears 20 times. And about a half a dozen times in this letter. And what is eternal life? You know, by definition, it's is life without end. Life that extends into eternity. But you know, it's much more than that. We tend to think of eternal life in in terms of uh, the future. You know, we think of we think that eternal life begins when uh, we die, or or when Christ returns that that inaugurates our eternal life. But that's not true. When does eternal life begin for us? It believes it. Yes, when we believe in Jesus Christ, our eternal life begins. It begins the moment that you trust in him as your savior you 're born again you 're born of the spirit of God, and further it 's more than a a time element it 's more than looking at the timeline it's, there, there's a there 's a, a a qualitative aspect to it as well. It has to do with the essence of our life in Christ. Jesus says in John 16, as he's praying to the Father what eternal life is, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This has to do with relationship. It has to do with knowing God. Jesus says that's what eternal life is. It's knowing God, knowing Him, knowing Jesus, being with Him in relationship, loving Him, being loved by Him. You know, not only is it the glory of the the next life, but it's the glory of this life here as we walk in Him. Day by day, moment by moment. Eternal life is defined by quantity and quality. You know, this, this is the abundant life that Jesus said He came to give us. The the eternal life is the abundant life in Christ. We're His. He cares for us. And we we know that He hears us. This is the next thing that John says. In verse 14 he says, this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us. In whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. You know, because of our, our certainty, we know that we can talk to God. Our our words just aren't going out into the void. We can talk to God, who has made us His children. He's put His Spirit in, into our hearts, and you know, as Paul says in Galatians four four through six, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. This word Abba is, is a term of affection. This, this morning before our, our kids left back to Kalispell, I was holding my my granddaughter in my lap and she was just... So content, just just sitting there, making little happy baby sounds. You know that's that's the the picture of, of us with our our heavenly Father. He he loves us. We love Him, and He He delights in our delight. John Piper has has something that he says all the time. He, he in all of his books, I think he quotes us. He says, "God is most." Uh, Delighted in us when we take our delight in him. Something along those lines. John says that if we ask anything according to his will, we have this confidence. How do we know when we're praying according to God's will? You know, we're never told that we can just ask for anything and it'll be ours. I think think God affords us quite a bit of protection in that. How do we know when we're asking according in, uh, to his will? Now, John's already talked about how we can have confidence. In uh, chapter 2, let's, let's do a little review. He says, and now little children abide in him so that whenever he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame in his coming. You know, abiding in, in Christ, dwelling with with him, enjoying his presence this gives us confidence for his coming. You know, when we're walking closely with him, uh, we're not going to be taken by surprise when he comes. 1 John three twenty one through 22, let's, let's review that. He says, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. How do we know if we're keeping his commandments and doing what pleases him? We're following his word. Um, If we live in obedience, we know that we can come to God with with full confidence. We know that we can approach him with a a clear conscience. In chapter 4, 16 through 17, John, remember, he said, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. You know, all this has to do with our true, genuine, sincere relationship with, with God. Are are we close with him? Are we walking hand in hand with him walking in step with the spirit or are we submitting our lives to him our wills to him doing what he commands are we are we loving him are we loving others as as he commanded or are we going our own way doing our own thing asking that question did god really say that do we approach god only when we're in trouble yeah, you know that'd be like the adult child who who goes away never communicates with his parents and you know lives a life of of debauchery doesn't care at all about his parents but then one day sends a text to dad send money <laughs> are we asking according to his will you know the question really is are are we praying biblically are we praying biblically our our prayer needs to be According to to God's word, I did a, did a quick search on God's will. What you know? How do we know what God's will is for us? We're 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 to pray according to His will. And here's here's a few things that we know about His will. First Timothy two three through four says that His will is that all people will be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. His will is that. We give thanks in all circumstances. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. His will is that, that we be sanctified, that we avoid sexual immorality. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It's his will that we persevere and receive what he's promised. That's, that's Hebrews 10.36. Each one of these things is listed as something that God wills for us. And you, I'm sure you can find much more. Read the Bible. He hears us. He hears us. You know, God is not a, a distant, impersonal God. He's, he's not a God who uh, disinterestingly, interestingly runs the universe. You know, I've, I've known people who think of God that way. You know, God created everything, set it in motion, set it in motion, and He's, you know, He doesn't have time for. For us. I don't want to bother him with my little problems, you know. He's he's got a universe to to run. But you know, um, I, I like what Francis Schaeffer says. He he refers to God as the infinite personal God, in God's infinitude. He can know each of us personally. He can he he knows each of us as well as he would if you were the only person he ever created. That's how well he knows each of us he cares for us. This is the thing about prayer you know our our prayers just don't go out unanswered, unheard. Do we believe this? I do What happens when we don't pray what uh, i uh, daniel henderson I heard him say that uh A lack of prayer is a declaration of independence from God. Where we say, I don't need you, God. I got it. I can handle this on my own. Psalm 37, 3 through 6, I I love these verses. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. This is not a self-indulgent prayer. You know, God answers our prayers not by us bending his will towards ours, but by him bending our will towards his. And, you know, we... we. We tend to mostly think of, our, of prayer as, as bringing our requests to God. And certainly we're encouraged to do that. We're, we're told to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. We know that he hears us. We know. We know. But we're also... That's supplication, by the way. You know, supp- Supplication is defined by earnestly requesting something. It's making an earnest pleading towards God giving him our needs. But we're also charged to be intercessors, intercessory prayers when we pray for each other, and John gets to that next. He says in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. And to those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say once you pray for that, and you read that and you go, what is that? And this is... This is kind of a hotly debated passage here. You know, what is, what is this sin that, that leads to death? People really wrestle with this. And one, one possibility the commentators uh, talk about uh, just as, as an example, remember in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they sinned. They lied to the Holy Spirit and, you know, God saw fit to, to end their lives right there. Uh, Paul talks about when he's when he's talking about communion, how if uh, people take communion in, in an unworthy manner, and and I, I believe strongly that that has to do with uh, creating division, not not regarding the body, not regarding the body of Christ. This is what Paul talks about in that section. The whole section is about division. He says some some because of this are, are sick and have even died. I don't think this is what, what John is talking about here though. Um, I think he's talking about the ultimate sin. Uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He's talking about people who just absolutely reject God. People who will not come to Christ. They've been presented the truth and they just say Nope. I don't want anything to do with you. What's going to happen to those people? They're going to face eternal death. I believe John is not prohibiting us from praying for, for the unsaved. He, he never says don't pray. But But his emphasis here is on praying for a person who has has slipped in their walk with God, who's stumbled and fallen and maybe has has backslidden and is out of fellowship with with Jesus Christ. Do we know any believers who would would fit that category? Have any of us been within that category? I know I sure have. I believe that's what he's talking about. We need to pray for each other. Christians do not engage in sin that leads to death, one commentator says, namely intentional, willful acts against God. Why? Because all people who are genuinely Christians have been born of God. Number three, we, we know that sin is not of God. Verse 17, he says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So John is talking here about sins of, of uh, conduct, uh, unrighteous acts, injustices. Uh, you know, these, these, things, these kinds of things are sins. These are the, the kinds of things that we are apt to fall into. We all wrestle with the flesh. We all succumb to sin. We all fall short. And uh, John is saying, but we must not persist in sin. Christians do not habitually live in sin. And he's talked earlier about this, hadn't he? He said, we've all sinned. We all sin. Anybody who says they don't sin is is lying. But we know we have an advocate, right? We know that we can come to him and confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to keep a short account with God. In verse 18, John says, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. But we know that he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus gives us protection when we we abide in him. John's saying, Christians, do not persist in sin they do not rebel against God by living in habitual sin and refusing to confess and repent um, you know I've talked to a lot of pastors and when, whenever this topic comes up um, inevitably we we're concerned we're worried about about this thing that there there are people sitting in the the pews or the chairs who are just going through the motions and, and they've never really known the Lord. They know about him. They know, they know the things he's said. They, they, they listen to the songs. They, they listen to the sermons, but they, they do not truly know him. You know, if if we've been born of the Spirit, we have been made the children of God. He, he He says this. We know we're from God. Verse nineteen. If we believed in Him, we also know the whole world lies in the power of, of the evil one. You know, the the world's ways are are different. The world is is set up against God. We're we're in the world, but we're not of the world we we live in this this battleground but we have god we're from god this is a powerful certainty we don't have to be under the power of of the uh, the enemy though we're certain we're given that certainty here in in christ we've been equipped we've been equipped to fight the battles we find ourselves in we can stand firm knowing that that we're in him and he's the He's the victorious one. We have victory because of Jesus. We sing that hymn, victory in Jesus. Okay, 5. 5. Number 5. Here's here's what we know and this is this is the key right here. This is the absolute big thing, the big point of this whole book is that we know God himself Verse 20, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. You know, we, we know that Jesus, the Son of God, came almost 2,000 years ago to earth. He was born of a virgin. He, he lived among us. He was, he was without sin. He died on a cross. He was he was raised from the dead three days later. He appeared to hundreds of people. He ascended to heaven. He's returning. We know these things. He spoke. We know the things he said. We know the things he taught. We have record of it in, in our Bibles. But you know, it's not enough to know these things about Jesus. It's not enough to know the things that he taught. There, believe it or not, there are plenty of atheists in this world who know a lot more than the average Christian about Jesus and about Jesus' uh, teachings. The Bible says that even the, the demons believe in in him and they tremble. They know about him. They know the truth about him. God sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us and to teach us all this, so that we might know him who is true, that we might know Jesus Christ and live in certainty that we have eternal life through him. We know these things, and um there's there's this one verse on the on the very end i I'm, I'm going to read it where this calls for an entire sermon just in itself, this very last verse. Verse twenty-one that says, "Little children, keep yourself from idols." And you might read that and you go, "What? What does that have to do with with what John's been talking about?" And I would, um, I would propose it has everything to do with what John is talking about. There's there's a lot of significance in this this imperative, "Keep yourselves from idols." You know, all these things John has said have, have given us certainty about our eternal life. They've given us clarity about our life in Christ. And the final question is, knowing these things, how then should we live? And John is saying, keep yourself from idols. It's easy for us to become distracted, to take our eyes off from Christ, to have the wrong emphasis It's easy for us to set our affections on the wrong things, the the things of this world. What is an idol? An idol is a distraction. Uh, One one definition is, um, and I believe this is from John Piper, anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. You know, putting our reliance on something else. So this is this is the, uh, the the cliffhanger. We're going to talk about this next time. We'll we'll look more closely at, at idols and and idolatry next week as we as we finish our study in First John. So anyway, what do we know? What do you know? Do you know with absolute certainty that you have eternal life? Amen. Do you know that God hears you and and your prayer your your prayers are answered? Do you know that genuine believers do not live in persistent and habitual sin? Do you know that you're of God and, and you have God in your life? Do you know Him? Do you know God? Do you have a close relationship with Him, full of the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, close with Him, being His friend? These are the uh, certainties that we have by virtue of being in Christ and believing in his name. And what's the alternative to knowing it's it's being uncertain? Uh, you know there there are a lot plenty of people go through their lives being religious and never knowing God. Uh they they go through the motions. Um, remember John John talked about these people in in chapter 2 he said there were there were those who went out from us, but they were not of us. You know, these were these were people who, who professed to be Christians. They they spoke it. They they said the right things, but they left. They abandoned God. They abandoned his Christ's body. They did not have eternal life because they did not know God. They were, they were faking it. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We can trust in God's word. We can trust that he means what he says. If we have believed in Jesus Christ and received him, we know with absolute certainty that we are the children of God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you for revealing... Yourself to us in Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. Your, your word is final, Lord. Uh, we have certainty, Lord. We we know that we are yours. We know you hear us. We know you. What an amazing thing, Lord. Thank you so much. And I just I just pray, Lord, that we can pray. In the powerful name of our Lord Jesus, amen.